Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, uh, it's good to be in the studio doing radio with you this week. I missed the main show. Uh, I feel like my my status as the Cal Ripken of this program is in question. I feel more like Ronnie. I'm taking a show off every couple weeks. Um, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Um, but at, at any rate, we're back. Uh, we're back together, back in the studio to do some sports talk. And I've got a baseball question for you to start with. I know we were we were kind of billing this as the NFL preview episode, and it will be that. But uh, pipe, my Mariners are frisky. Um, they kind of hung around. They went through a rough patch early in the season, and this is one of the charming mm-hmm. things about baseball. It's such a long season that like trades can happen, and new guys can be acquired, and just new chemistry in the clubhouse, and then you've got a a team that's kind of frisky down the stretch and they're playing really well. And I'm having fun with this team and I, I enjoy the makeup of the team. I enjoy the personalities on the team. I enjoy kind of just how, how they're being successful, I guess. Mm -hmm. And my question to you is, is every good team likable? You know what I mean? If your team is good, hundred percent. No. Yeah, talk about it because I'm I'm trying to figure out whether I find this team likable just because they're good or if they're actually likable. Well, it's <clears throat> so there. There's a strong correlation between upstart team and likability. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the Mariners have been they were bad for a long time. Then they yeah. the last couple of years they've been sort of like pushing towards contention. Yeah, uh, this year they. They're, I mean, they're gen- genuinely in contention for the wild card in their division. They made yeah. a nice trade uh, or two at the uh, at the trade deadline. Picked yeah. up Luis Castillo, who is tons of fun to watch. Um, yeah. And and so so young upstart teams lean towards likability. The teams yeah. that are not likable are like the Dodgers. Right. And And it's not even because they have a bunch of bad personalities. It's just because it's like... I don't know. It's it's like it's like rooting for Amazon or something yeah. like that. You know, where you're I like, really hope it, Amazon is the top online seller this year. You know, yeah, man, yeah. what it's it's so great. Now, like they're still fun to watch, for, and and like yeah. Mookie Betts yeah. and Freddie Freeman and and yeah. Walker Bueller and and Clayton. Like these guys all seem like good guys, good good teammates, good. And but yeah. like they all yeah. get paid a billion dollars, so yeah. so they're not likable. Yeah. And then you get like the Yankees. And you're like, their uniform makes them like they're wearing the laundry of the bad guys. That's yeah, that's what yeah. their uniform says. Yeah. So, no, not all good teams are likable. There is a category for like bad teams that are likable because they're lovable. Sure. There's there's upstart teams that are likable because you just root for the underdog and and because young players like you really want to see young players succeed. Yeah. Um. Then you get a team like I think Atlanta is an interesting one because you know Atlanta yeah. goes to the World Series last year. Pretty young team, a lot of yeah. a lot of guys on the on the uh, kind of on the upswing, and they've locked a bunch of those guys in for like eight or ten years, and so they're they're still likable and really good. 
kind of simultaneously. Right. That's a great sweet spot to be in. So, yeah, I, I think the Mariners have are, are in sort of that upstart likable shooting yeah. for the Braves version where it's like, no, they're just actually good and likable. Yeah. No, but, I, I I agree. Yeah. Yeah, they've they've got such an interesting roster in that like they don't have superstar type guys who are just dominating in any one statistical category. I mean, Julio's going to be a superstar. Yeah, um, I mean, he's he's Mike Trout-esque in yeah. terms of just like he might not lead the league in any one thing, but he's going to be like third in the league in four things. Yeah, he's competitive like, he's, in a whole bunch ridiculous. of them. He's ridiculous. He is, and he's a star for sure. But like, our leading home run hitter has twenty. You know, and we have a bunch of guys with like basically thirteen to twenty home runs, and so the production is coming, but it's coming from a bunch of different guys who are likable. You know, like Suarez has twenty, Julio has nineteen, Cal Raleigh, who's really nice and likable, has eighteen, Ty France, who's kind of this like gritty feel good he's hung around for years kind of story jesse winker who we traded for so we've got a bunch of kind of likable guys who are being productive and our our pitching staff is pretty similar you know um there's no kind of super super dominant like blow them away kind of arm on our staff but um when yeah we're just getting good contributions from a bunch of dudes I tuned into the uh, to the All Star game, you know, a month mm-hmm. ago or whatever it was now, and you know the Mariners. I knew I knew Julio was there, and uh, you know, as part of the part of the home run derby and everything, he probably mm-hmm. deserved to be an actual All Star. I mean, they mm-hmm. deserved it, deserved it. And then they had this guy named Paul Sewold. Yeah, Sewold. I don't even know how to yeah. say his name. Like I, I'd, I'd never seen his name. Any, I was like, this is a made up baseball player. This is, yeah, this is like they, they snuck in a guy who like won the drawing from the stands to to make an appearance <laughs> in yeah. uniform. Yeah, and he's he's just lights out this year out of their bullpen. He think he's like right, like what early thirties and just sort of having a late career breakout. Yes, which is a fun baseball thing, dude. Yes. Um, I it love the late career breakout. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in, happen really in any, any other sport. sport yeah. Except maybe maybe like a golf a golfer might win a tournament on a you know, have it have a great weekend. But like yeah. that's not the same thing as a guy who has toiled away in triple A and bounced around eight different teams and probably retired twice and his wife has constantly been like, Paul, how much longer are you gonna throw your career or throw your life <laughs> exactly. away this career? And now all of a sudden he's an all star. It's fun, dude. Let me let me make like a one-minute argument for why this might happen in baseball. So I'm 46. I'm still playing semi-pro football. I'm having more fun with it now than I've ever had in my life, and it's for one reason. The reason is I don't get nervous anymore. Um, <laughs> I think because it's taken me four and a half decades to like actually get some perspective on what's important in life, which is an indictment of me, but like... Nevertheless, it's happened where I can just kind of roll up and play and enjoy it and not be devastated if I suck and not be too puffed up if I'm great. And the result is I'm playing really good now. And it's because I'm not in my own head and I'm way less athletic than I was when I was 20, when I was super athletic and I could, you know, dunk and bench press a whole bunch of weight and run fast and all that. But like, I think in baseball, you know the mind is a is is maybe a bigger component in that sport than it is in any other in terms of the value of not being in your own head. 
So maybe Seawald is just one of those guys who needed three and a half decades to get some perspective, and now he's playing good. But at any rate, it's fun, you know. What well, and but baseball is a is it? It's an interesting mix of like athletic ability with just this sort of technique because like odds are he won't be great next year. Yeah, that's like a, that's an interesting point. There's the, there's a lot of guys who have like one pop up year especially the late career guys, or maybe they get one or two and then they just sort of fade because yeah. they're, they lose their slider. Their fastball loses two miles per hour. They, they can't find this whatever it is. They can't find the strike zone. And it, and who knows why? Same thing like with hitters, like they all of a sudden a guy who's a career 240 hitter hits 280 with 20 home runs one year. And yeah, he's an all-star. Why? I don't know. He just, that just sort of happens. Maybe it was the drugs yeah. he was on, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of stuff, which, which doesn't, the mystery of it actually makes it more fun because then it's 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 very unpredictable. These guys come out of nowhere. Yeah. It's like, man, that was what a great. We just get to enjoy watching a guy have his best year. It's awesome. Let's transition to football with this question. And I know we got to take a break in here some at some point. You know what? Let's take it now. Uh, Salem, if you're listening, we're taking a break. We'll be back. We'll talk some football. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, Pipe, we're back. Here's my question. Has that model ever been replicated in football? I have a couple of guys in mind who were better in their mid to late 30s than they were when they were young. Uh, They're both quarterbacks. I'm sure I can think of some position players. Um, But the quarterbacks I'm thinking of, actually, I can think of one position player too. The quarterbacks are Rich Gannon and Vinny Testaverde. Uh, you guys had Rich Gannon on the Vikings when he was young. You were probably too young to really remember this. Uh, but he was a small college guy. I think he went to Delaware. Super athletic, super toolsy. You know, his game would translate now, actually. But it took him like a decade plus to really get his legs underneath him in the NFL. But then when he did, he took the Raiders to a Super Bowl, and he, he was an MVP. Uh, he was really, really good in the kind of twilight of his career, age you know, 33 plus. Yeah. Uh, same deal with Testaverde. Sucked for about a decade. Um, got progressively better the older he got. And then he played into his early 40s effectively. Um, you know, he was a really good quarterback, but he came out of Miami with this ballyhooed kind of Andrew Luck level of this guy's was, generational did he win? Did he win the Heisman? I don't remember. But he had, I remember he had like, this guy's a can't-miss prospect kind of hype. And he went right. to, at that time, a horrifically managed Tampa franchise. Hugh Culverhouse was their owner. They they just were awful every year. 
He had nothing sweet around uniforms, him. though. They had sweet uniforms, like really, really good uniforms, but no one for him to throw to. They had one good lineman. It was Paul Gruber. Uh, they were bad. So he was bad, and he was bad for a long time because that's back before teams gave up on a quarterback after a year and a half. Point being, you know, I, th- I think there's a way for this to work in the NFL. The position player I'm thinking of is John Riggins, the old running back for he was drafted by the Jets in the yeah. 70s out of Kansas. And he really had his best years with the Redskins when he was like 35, um, which is kind of unbelievable for a running back. But he figured it out and he was really good. So I'm sure there are others. I'm sure we'll have listeners. Well, I think like uh, uh, James Harrison uh, yeah, for the Steelers was like That's that. I mean, one. he his wasn't necessarily that he got better as much as mm-hmm. he just was like, the fifth linebacker in a four linebacker setup and had hall of famers in front of him for several years, like just really yeah. good players. So yeah. he didn't get his real chance until maybe late twenties yeah. and then was really dominant for like seven or eight years and played until he was close to 40. Yeah. He was awesome. He was strong. He was explosive. He was crafty. There's, there um, are a lot of offensive linemen like that too. They're just harder to remember. Like there's a ton of guards who yeah. are like not great until they're 28 30 and then they get five or six years of really good play and i think a lot of that is what you were talking about earlier there's just sort of a like they settle down they realize like they just sort of recognize the game and it slows down and they can play differently for sure yeah no that's that's really true i'm thinking of a guard ray brown he played till he was like 42 played for the lions played for the redskins was really effective later in his career um and and the great thing about offensive line play especially the way it works now um you don't have to move a a ton you know what i mean i mean you're you're moving some but it's it's in a really confined space and if you know where to go and you know the angles and you know where you need to be and you have some like functional strength left you can play at a pretty effective level for a long time it's kind of fun well yeah and it's what's interesting about the cases that you mentioned so testaverde i think testaverde Testaverde and Gannon and Riggins, it was all a matter of ending up with a team that had a specific system that worked for them. You know, Gannon Certainly. went Gannon went to the West Coast, yeah. uh, like the West Coast offense, literally the West Coast as well. But and yeah. it it suited his skill set. And That's I think right. he lost a little bit of athleticism, which actually worked mm-hmm. in his favor because it sort of confined him to let's run the plays the way they're supposed to be run instead of because he was kind of a, a scrambler uh, yeah. early in his career. Uh, I think Testaverde was a little bit the same way, going from just a horrific team to teams that had like actual systems, and and, and then Riggins coaches. went Riggins yeah. went to uh, Washington where they was like they had the Hogs and like they were yeah. they were committed to smashing the ball up the middle, which is about the only thing he was good at, and so yeah, it was a gap scheme, you know, offense. They were running between the tackles, a lot of counters. Um, you didn't have to be like, you know, super freaky twitched up. It was more about vision and, you know, he always had great lean. He always ran with good pad level and, um, people forget that Riggins was an elite athlete coming out of college. He was like an NCAA champion track star at Kansas. And by the time he got to the Redskins, he kind of had the, he had the offensive line face mask and kind of the offensive line body a little bit, but, um, you know, people forget that he was a super freak athlete when he was young. All right, Pipe, I want to I wanna actually use this quarterback talk 
to start with, I want to start with actually my last question and then work my way kind of up that NFL preview list. And this is actually an article that Tristan and I are writing for uh, the Pro Football Researchers Association, which uh, they put out a newsletter that probably goes to like 12 people. But I, I really like it and I enjoy writing for it. And we're working on this model wherein the the question that it seeks to answer is, can you win with a cheap veteran quarterback? And the reason that we're interested in this is that there only seems to be two models operative in the NFL right now from a quarterback perspective, one of which is the win with the cheap rookie contract model, yep. which I think people are realizing is harder than it looks, right? Like, so... If you've listened well, to any NFL podcast, yeah, go ahead. It, it's hard because finding a good young quarterback is hard. Like it works really well with mm-hmm. Russell Wilson or with Patrick Mahomes sure. or with Andrew Luck or whatever. It doesn't work with Zach right. Wilson because he's not good yet. Zach Wilson, or maybe bad. ever. Yeah, and it, you know what? It's not going to work with Justin Fields in part because Justin Fields is bad, but also because the the roster around him is generationally terrible. Right. So, yeah. What this a whole disaster. sort of like I love seeing yeah. the Bears be bad, but I hate seeing them be this bad. Like it hurts. Yeah. It hurts me to watch Justin Field. I'm like, they just ruined a guy's career. I think I think he's I think he's going to be bad forever because this is where he started. He is the new David Carr. Yeah, he, he is. And that's interesting. Some of it's on him. Some of it's on the Bears. I, I see this in Kyler Murray, too. Just a steadfast refusal to do anything on rhythm. And maybe mm-hmm. this is early career Rich Gannon, right? And the difference between Rich Gannon at 33 versus Rich Gannon at 23. You know, at 33, the West Coast, and there are still West Coast guys in the league, right? Like, there, there are people from this tree who are thriving still in the league. It's all predicated on rhythm and getting the ball out on time and making a couple reads really quickly. And when I watch Justin Fields or Kyler Murray... Even if it's there, they won't throw it on rhythm, right? There's no three-step slant happening in those offenses. Like, it's everything is a jailbreak. And when it works, it works. And when it doesn't work, it's awful. Anyway, we're, we're kind of kicking the tires on this. I wonder if there's another way because the NFL is, like, escalating these ridiculous quarterback contracts. So, as we discussed last time... You're paying a Kyler Murray, who's really a you know ten to fifteen level quarterback. You're paying him top three money, right? So he's now being paid like you would pay a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or whatever, except that he's at a Kirk Cousins level. And Kirk Cousins was being paid an elite level when he signed his contract a few years ago. So how do we break out of that rut of? we're either paying a mediocre guy astronomical money or we're kind of taking a dice roll on a rookie. There's got to be a third way. So we're looking at five or six teams since the turn of the century who have won with kind of cheap veterans. And it's, it's kind of a fun thought experiment. Who, what do you, who what do you the, think about it? Who are the teams that have won with cheap veterans? I'm curious. Yeah, let me look it up. Um, all right. So the ones that we're looking at are... The 2000 Baltimore Ravens, the 2002 Tampa Bay Bucks, the 2006 Bears, um, kind of the 2009-2010 Jets, 
even though they was that Pennington. No, that was that was actually early Mark Sanchez. So okay. he wasn't really yet a veteran, but he was cheap and kind of mediocre to bad, and they played around him really well. And then the 2012 Ravens, which was the Flacco team. So I have a, uh, <clears throat> I have an observation about all those teams. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be the same as mine. But they, go ahead. They all won in a different era of the NFL. The, yeah. y- you were still able to dominate with defense then, and mm-hmm. the best you can do now with defense is make key plays at key times. You can't really stop other teams from scoring because of the rules, because of advances in offense. Those go hand in hand because offensive coordinators know how to take advantage of the rules. Like the moment the middle of the field opened up in the early to mid 2000s because they took away headhunting, basically. Yeah. Offensive coordinators are like, oh, well, you, you just took the governor off. We can do whatever we want. So, yeah. Which means that the quarterback play has had to accelerate dramatically. Like, you go back and watch those teams, those quarterbacks sucked. Like, they were bad. Um, it, they they just managed to not turn the ball over. You know, Trent Dilfer, I, mean, I think it was Brad Johnson on that, uh, on that Bucks yeah, team. Yeah, Dilfer was the 2000 Ravens. The 02 Bucks was Brad Johnson. Was it, who, was on, who was the Bears? Was it Kramer? Dude, it was, it was Rex Grossman. Okay. So yeah, that so Grossman Grossman was I think he managed to avoid too many turnovers that year. Yeah, that's right. So that's what we're seeing and we're seeing some commonalities on all these teams, which is what we wanted to find, right? We wanted uh-huh. to basically like look at these five teams and pick apart what was common amongst all of them to make them good. Um they almost all had an elite corner. They almost all had one to two elite offensive linemen. So the 09, 010 Jets, like Alan Fanica, Pro Bowler, Hall of Famer, Nick Mangold, maybe a Hall of Famer. Um, the early Ravens teams had Jonathan Ogden, Hall of Famer. You know, so like there were some elite linemen. They all had like serviceable to very good running games. Yeah. Um, and they were committed to them. Like all those teams. I bet if you look at the run to pass ratio, they they were well over fifty percent run. Every team on this list had a cheap, underwhelming on paper receiving core with no stars. the The biggest quote unquote star on this list at wide receiver was like late career Keyshawn Johnson on the two thousand two Bucks. Um, so they did it without spending a ton on receiver, and they did it without spending a ton on quarterback. But the paradigm now is all like, how many all-star receivers can you pair with your overpriced quarterback? And time will tell if it works or not. But we were just, we were wondering if there's a more sustainable model. And the thing that made us think about this was Zach Wilson maybe tearing his ACL in the preseason and going, I wonder if the Jets are going to be better with Flacco. Because Flacco's your kind of paradigmatic, cheap, veteran you know, can get the ball out, can limit the turnovers, still has a deep ball arm to rip it down the seam if he wants to. Um, and I, I think they will probably be better with Flacco than they will be with, with Zach Wilson. Yeah, it's... I think it's a question of ceiling, you know. Mm-hmm. It, there is no chance that Joe Flacco leads them to a Super Bowl. Yeah. Not, not this year, not in the next three years. There was yeah. a chance that Zach Wilson 
learned how to play NFL quarterback and and <laughs> yeah and next year or the year after was you yeah. know a top five QB. So yeah. like it's a one in fifty chance, but yeah. it's there. There is a zero out of zero chance that Joe Flacco can do that. And so it's it's a little bit like the NFL is mimicking the NBA in this way in that basically you are either going for a title or you are rebuilding. Like you don't matter yeah. or you're going for yeah. the Super Bowl, which is why those like grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies teams from several yeah. years ago were so interesting because like they were never going to win a title, but they were going right. to win 50 games and they were going to be a pain in the butt in the playoffs and they were yeah. fun to watch and they their, their fan base loved them. But like the ceiling sure. was the ceiling. And so... Yeah. That doesn't exist in the NFL. There is, yeah. we are either throwing everything at a Super Bowl or like we're just we're just tearing it down again. Which is why what the Vikings are doing is weird. Yeah, because because they can't even like they they can't even pretend that they think Kirk Cousins is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. <laughs> yeah. But they keep bringing back veterans. They're trying to support. Like they're basically committed to being an eight to eleven win team, yeah. and hoping that everybody else has injuries or something like that. So it's, well, yeah, I think, and hoping that they get into the tournament and get hot and get yeah. lucky at the right time. And like, yeah. and and Cousins when he's hot is good, but he's only hot when everything around him is perfect, which is never in the playoffs because the other teams yeah. are good. Um, yeah, I I don't think this will change so long as the as so long as the finances of the NFL and this is super boring, but no, so no, long as the finances interesting to me as long as the the finances in the NFL keep expanding at the rate that they are. Because it does yeah. not hurt teams to pay a quarterback $50 million a year. Now, yeah. if the economy of the NFL flattened and the salary yeah. cap is like, sorry, we're not bumping the salary cap up anymore. Now, there you, you have to find middle-class quarterbacks. So, yeah. Or when, when you're faced with the idea of re-signing a quarterback, you know, like what the Browns did with Baker Mayfield, where they're like, there's just no way we're giving you that kind of money. And they ended up trading right. him for peanuts. You know, yeah. I think Baker Mayfield is a is a middling quarterback. He's I think he's worse yeah. than Kirk Cousins, but not a ton worse. You know, he's Yeah. See, he, I actually think Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray are in a more similar neighborhood than Kyler Murray is with Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And to pay Kyler Murray Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes money just seems like asinine at a very <laughs> fundamental level, but it's what's going to happen with the Eagles, right? right. So Jalen Hurts is going to go 10 and seven this year as a starter. And they're going to be faced with this, like, up oh, he's, he wants a new contract. He's going to scrub us from his Instagram and it's going to be a big thing. And like, do you pay Jalen Hurts or not? And they're going to overpay him. But I wonder if they would be better. I don't know starting Minshew and putting all those resources somewhere else on their football team. You know what I mean? To, to <laughs> yeah. get like, to get really elite somewhere else. So the other, the other commonality that all these teams had, um, and you made this point earlier and you're probably right. You probably can't have an elite defense anymore. Right. But all these teams had really, really elite, like top five type defenses in the league. Well, that, um, and, and if you think about it, so, so let's say, like you think about those Ravens team, like the early the the Trent Dilfer Ravens team that won the Super yeah. Bowl, and some of those teams, like their money, everything was slanted towards defense. They had like a good running back that yeah. they that carried the ball twenty seven times a game, and then Jamal Lewis, yeah, great and, fullback Vontae Leach, yeah. Well, I think like Priest Holmes was his backup at one point, and yeah. all this like they just they, they 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 
poured into the running game. And yeah, if you did that now, you mm-hmm. would be a, f- it, and so and you put all your money into defense. You go sign all the best free agents. You draft on mm-hmm. defense. You pour your resources in there. You'd be a four to five win team because, because See, I, the, I, I, the, 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 I don't think that an elite defense, well, first of all, you would have nothing on offense and you would just get destroyed. And I don't think an elite defense could actually stop the Rams or Tampa or whatever uh, with any consistency because because the rules and the structure of the game don't really allow it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the rule thing that really is the like stumbling block, I think, of this little thought experiment. However, you know, one of the things that we've identified is that it just seems, and I, there's data to back this up, right? Like it's, it's easier to draft a guard or a tackle or a safety and know that they're going to be good, but the quarterback thing is still a crapshoot, and it has been for decades, right? So you, if you're the Bears, if you're the Vikings, going, it's a crapshoot to draft guards. Yeah, exactly, right? But, but that's you know, neither here nor there in this conversation. I'm just complaining at this point. No, I get it. I totally get it. But if you're the Bears and you – or the Jets, right? The Bears and the Jets, the Bears draft Justin Fields and, like, all of NFL social media is clapping. This is an amazing pick. Good job, Chicago, right? Like, and it turns out he's maybe not that great. Same with Justin Fields. The team around him in Chicago's case is terrible. The Jets always win the draft, and then they always suck. Um, so the fact of the matter is, maybe it's just a higher percentage proposition to build in other areas and then slide in. Look, the Rams did it. The Rams did it with Stafford, right? Mm-hmm. And Stafford still had some sexiness on him because he's a former number one overall pick, but... The fact of the matter is, in today's quarterback economy, Stafford was a bargain. Yes. Right? He was and he was one of the top two or three paid guys when he got his contract, and then like eight guys surpassed him in a month. That's it. And and so Stafford ended up being the bargain veteran piece <clears throat> that the Rams slid into an already really good roster. And I think in an alternate universe, that could have been Joe Flacco like four years ago. You know what I mean? Like Flacco's won a Super Bowl. Now Matt Stafford has won a Super Bowl. Like, on paper, they're not all that different. They both have a huge arm. They can both still rip it down the field. And I'm, this isn't like a Flacco apologist podcast. But right. it's just a, it's an interesting way to think about that position per the economics of the moment where I, I think the worst thing to be, and you know this as a person who's, like, saddled with Kirk Cousins, the worst thing to be is a team paying a quarterback that you don't quite believe in superstar money. And there are just so many teams doing that right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, you bring up an interesting point because I think the Stafford thing, now that's not going to be a thing that teams can just like build around, but it does sure. bring up an interesting case because you see some other teams doing this where they, like I would put Atlanta in this, in this camp where I think what, you know, Atlanta committed to a not quite great quarterback huge money for a while and now they're having to kind of pay the price on the back end so they trade matt ryan and his big salary eat a lot of that money this year they draft uh, a wide receiver defensive players last year they drafted kyle pitts and uh 
it seems like they're trying to build a roster that they could slot a young quarterback into and give him a chance at success. It's the exact opposite of what the Bears did. The Bears are like, we don't have a roster. Let's get a quarterback. They would have been so (laughs) much better off. First of all, they traded a bunch of picks to go up and get fields, which is is part of the reason they stink because now they don't have any young depth. If they had right. been like, let's draft a couple offensive linemen, let's get a couple defensive players, let's get some mid-round wide receivers who could maybe turn into something, do that two yeah. or three times with and, and yeah, and and play who I mean, who was their backup? It was uh uh It's Trevor Simeon now. I think it was, it was uh Andy dude, Dalton last year. It was Dalton and then they had uh they had the guy who I'm Nick totally blind, used to back up Carson Wentz in Philly. Yeah, Nick Foles. Foles, yeah. yeah. Name just escaped me. And uh-huh. uh like Play those guys and win. You know you're not going to win more than four or five games with those guys and a bad right. roster. Get Fields a redshirt year. Yeah. yeah. And, or just don't draft him. And then right. draft somebody. Dra- draft Bryce. Uh, what's his name? Bryce Hall. Bryce whatever his name is coming out of Alabama yeah. this year. Right. With six or seven useful players on your team and salary cap space to go get some free agents. I, yeah. I think that model is going to. So it's it's still going to be the young quarterback model, but I think yeah. you'll see more teams who build a roster and then either trade for a high priced quarterback from a rebuilding team, yeah. or you know a high priced quarterback who is now who is now mid price range. So like in yeah. in in four years, mm-hmm. Kyler Murray is going to be cheap compared yeah. to the league. So yeah. somebody might trade for him, and Arizona is definitely going to be sick of him. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, that, it's Matt Ryan right now. Yeah, slotting into a Colts roster that's pretty good. Atlanta ate part of his salary. Like, I think they ate almost the entirety of his salary. Like they exactly. were so eager so, to 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 get out from under that. So Matt Ryan is now that guy for the Colts. This is a good segue because I want to talk about another team who's doing the model that you just laid out. And it's the team I like, the Detroit Lions. Yes, they are. I'm I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm guzzling it over here. Like, I'm sick to my stomach from drinking Lions Kool-Aid. I'm so excited. I'm so in. Um, we have another year of Jared Goff. I'm almost talking myself into him maybe being able to be serviceable. Um, top five offensive line when they're healthy. Frank Ragnow, um, Taylor Decker, the guy we drafted last year, Panay Sewell. Um, Vitae finally seems to have found a home at guard where they can hide him a little bit. That's good. TJ Hawkinson at tight ends emerging, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown at wide receiver two two pretty capable running backs in Deandre Swift and Jamal Williams. I'm excited, dude. I'm in. Yeah. Solid, um, solid defensive line, or at least the, yeah, at least solid the D line. They're a little light. They're going to get pushed around a little bit. I'm worried about that, but even the back end is starting to look frisky. We got, or URIA last year. Um, oh, the kid from Ohio State that we Jeff Okuda looks healthy and competitive now. I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I'm pretty excited about it in a division that's like accessible now. In the you know you guys are a 500 team like always. Uh, the Bears suck. The Packers are kind of question marky now with no wide receivers and some transition. Yeah, I would, I don't know. I would I put them in the vulnerable the category, the Packers, because, yeah, I think their yeah. offense is going to be middling at best. Their, their wide receivers yeah. are horrendous. So, yeah, yeah. You know, when Alan Lazard is your number one wide receiver. So here's like quick word, quick, quick thought on that. You know, people are like, yeah. oh, he's going to replace Devontae Adams. I don't think people think he's as good, but like Aaron Rodgers is not stupid. 
Yeah. If there was a wide receiver on that roster who deserved half of the targets yeah. that didn't go to Devontae Adams, he would have given it to him. Instead, That's it was true. feed yeah. Devontae Adams 14 times a game and then begrudgingly throw four times to Alan Lazard and Robert Tanyan and Bob like, Tanyan. Yeah, yeah. Their best receiver right now is Aaron Jones, their running back, which tells me they're, right. they're vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I no, think totally. I think Jared Goff is the perfect quarterback to to do this kind of thing with. It's yeah. he's you know it's it, it's it is Andy Dalton Nick Foles ish. He mm-hmm. they absorbed that salary when they traded uh, when they made the the Stafford trade, and it looked it looked bad. Like it's a bad salary, but like whatever. Yeah. What else do they have to spend money on? They're just they're, they're going and sort of piecemealing it together. They're not overspending on free agents. But mm-hmm. they, they are bringing some guys in who are professionals, you know, like real yeah. professionals. I, you know, I don't know how well it's going to work. That really depends on whatever quarterback they go out and get probably next year. Yeah. But, but it's the, it, it seems like the right foundation and the right direction. And, you know, we were talking about baseball teams being fun and likable. The, yeah. the Lions are headed in the direction of fun and likable. Like, and, or they already totally. are, depending on what you enjoy watching. Like, if you like yeah. line play, oof, they're, yeah. they're super fun. They're super likable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I want to use that as a transition to ask you this. Do you watch preseason football? Um, and if so, what do you glean from it? There, there are varying opinions on the preseason. Uh, I've really been enjoying it this year. Um, but I watch individual players. So when I watch a game, like I watched Seahawks-Bears last night, and both those teams are a dumpster fire, right? Both those teams are probably going to be contending for the number one overall pick next year. Everybody's already kind of defaulting that pick to the Texans. When I look at the Texans roster, I see a lot of possibilities. Like I see a lot of guys to be hopeful and excited about, and I think the Texans could be a five or six or seven win team even. But the Bears... Especially because they're in the kind Seahawks, of a weak division. They're in kind of a weak division. But the Bears and the Seahawks, yeah, on paper it's a dumpster fire, but I really enjoyed watching individuals last night. Do you do you watch the preseason? Uh, no, I don't. <clears throat> okay. in, in part because the games are on at all sorts of... Uh, random times and i'm like i don't i don't have three hours three hours on a thursday night <laughs> yeah, yeah uh to watch two teams that i don't care about play their backups so yeah but the other reason is like i i am a vikings fan like that's the mm-hmm. team that i will rearrange life to watch yeah uh, i'm an nfl fan meaning when it's the nfl season i'll watch anything that's on yeah yeah i am not an nfl scout Right. Which means I don't care about the third stringers or the guard, yeah. the right guard competition for the Seahawks or whatever, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and and teams are just openly saying, "Yeah, we're not playing our starters." Well, yeah. as a as a fan, that's what I want to see. I want to see the good players play. I would watch Vikings preseason because I am very interested in their right guard competition and their yeah. fourth receiver competition and who is returning punts <laughs> for them and all this stuff. Uh, not yeah. true for most of the other teams in the league. Yeah, no, I I get it. Um, did you happen to like go on NFL.com or YouTube or whatever and watch the cutups of Kellen Mond from last week? Uh, a little bit, yeah. He's uh he's a mixed How'd bag. How'd you feel about it? Yeah, I I mean definitely a mixed bag. I think from what I can tell, 
both from a little bit that I've watched and then kind of seeing smarter people than me break it down. He has all the athletic ability to be a good NFL quarterback and does not have the clock in his head to kind of mm-hmm. to, to process the, the game. You know, you were talking yeah. about how Fields and, and Kyler Murray won't do anything on time. It seems like mm-hmm. Mont can't do anything on time. So yeah. the entire offensive system is really built around timing. It's it is sort of that Rams West Coasty uh, yeah. thing, and so it is like you hit guys coming out of their breaks, you hit them at a spot on the field, etc. And he he misses that stuff. So there's there's just something there. That, I mean, I, that's not to say he can't learn it, but it's not there right now. Yeah. No, I, I agree. That being said, Pike, I would rather have him as the backup than Sean Mannion because Mon's ceiling is make plays. Mannion's ceiling is don't fumble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could actually potentially win a few games with Kellen Mond. Um And there was excitement about his, his skill set coming out for sure. Piper, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll end with some predictions about the season. All right, Pipe, we're back. Uh, I want to do some predictions, and we'll just kind of like off the cuff these. I want to start with, and I, I already kind of spoke to this with the Bears and the Seahawks. Who do you think is going to be terrible? Who do you think is <laughs> going to be just awful and be contending for the the number one overall pick next year? Uh, I mean, the two teams you just named are the first two that come to mind. There's not that many yeah. awful, awful teams in the league. Um, I actually have Atlanta on that list, too. I think they could be really, really bad. Yeah, I think Atlanta could be really bad. Although I, so I think Arthur Smith is a good coach. I think he That's has more point. players than he used to, and I think Marcus Mariota is a is a he's Jared Goff ish, but I think maybe better or like he's in that realm. So yeah. like sneaky, like he, they could sneaky win five to seven games. It, it's, I think Mariota could be a candidate for that like mid career renaissance sort of narrative that we talked about before. Yeah. And I'd like to see it similar to like, he's, he's better than Teddy Bridgewater who, who, you know, who's gotten some, some spot start seasons. So I don't think, I don't think Atlanta will be good. I think it would behoove them to lose a lot of games, but, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think, I mean the, the bear, if the bears win three games this year, yeah, like their new coach deserves a, just a statue. Outside yeah, Soldier true. Field or wherever they're moving to, since it sounds or like the they're horse a track that they're moving to, yeah. forty-five minutes away, you know, and uh, yeah. you know, and I think the Seahawks, like they're in a they're in a pretty solid division, and uh, their quarterbacks are horrendous, and it's mm-hmm. man, when you have just terrible quarterbacks, you, it's really hard to win. So it's hard to see them winning more than about four games too. Um, and so, yeah, I think those are the two worst. I'm trying to think of other teams that are just abysmal. Carolina's an interesting one. Like, they yeah. might win eight games. They might win two games. It's hard to know. Uh, yeah. They might fire Dude, their coach me, four games into the season, too. Carolina really comes and goes on the health of, of Christian McCaffrey. You know, if McCaffrey's healthy, Darnold looks 33% better. Baker Mayfield probably looks better. Um, McCaffrey, people forget how special he is when he's right. Yeah. They have um, solid receivers. They do. They've, they've got a really interesting, like, skill group, actually. Um, they drafted a good lineman. You know, it's going to take more kind of retooling of the offensive line to make that group consistent. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I think Carolina could really, you know, their ceiling could be like seven or eight wins and, and it wouldn't shock me. But but to your point, it also wouldn't shock me if, you know, Matt Rule was gone in week four yeah. and they were completely tearing it down. <clears throat> if I, if Baker ahead. Mayfield starts 15 to 17 games for them, they, they'll, they'll probably still have a top five to seven pick, but it'll be five to seven, not one to five. Like they're they're yeah. not they're going to be one of the worst teams, but not yeah. abysmal. Yeah, no, I agree. I this is going to be a it's it's going to sound like a hot takey one. I think Tampa is going to be not terrible, but I think they're going to be mediocre. Um, I I think just cosmically, like with Gronk being gone. There, there's something about the makeup of this Tampa team. Ryan Jensen's hurt for the year. There are so many sort of tone setters who are either hurt or gone. I don't know. I think this is the year that it's, you know, 10 and 7 or 9 and 8, and it just kind of, you know, is, is over. And it goes out with a little bit of a whimper and not another bang. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I can see that. I think I think their division is weaker than it has been. And uh yeah, I think I don't know. I it, I it's hard for me not to see that them winning 10, 10 plus games just because they do have depth, you know, like yeah. Chris yeah. Godwin's out for a while. Yeah, but they they just signed Julio Jones. They've got uh yeah. they signed Russell Gage, who's a solid receiver. They still have Mike Evans. They've still right. got Tyler Johnson, who is like the they, he's not a rookie anymore, but like he's that guy who who was highly touted coming out, who probably like if he had to step on the field, he can make a play or two. You know, their defense yeah. is still really good. Uh, I think I think the Titans are going to be a disappointment this year. Again, not like yeah. top five pick, but at, Ryan Tannehill depends entirely on a perfect system to be really mm-hmm. good, and their offensive coordinator left last year and he looked bad and they don't have any wide receivers worth throwing to. So yeah. I, I think he's going to look really bad. I, I, you know, is this the end for Derrick Henry? You know, last year he got injured a bunch. Didn't look great when he came back. You know, is he, if he's a dominant force, they can win some. If he's a, if he's injured some or kind of has lost something, they're a seven to nine win team at best. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, I agree. I, I just don't think they're dominant enough in the other areas to make up for their deficiencies. I mean, their defense and, was really uh, good last year, and I I don't see it slipping a ton. But yeah, it's their their offense could be bottom ten in the league easy. Yeah, Robert Woods if he blows a tire, um, you know the kid from Arkansas, the Traylon Burks things is 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 very much TBD. <laughs> you know, he looks like a guy who's going to take. A couple years to get up to speed. I could be wrong, yeah. but um, you know that that doesn't look super hopeful. Pipe, who do you think is going to be surprisingly frisky? Um, I kind of talked about it with the Texans a little bit, and maybe I'm just enjoying being the go the other way on the yeah. Texans guy. But I, I don't know. I watch them and I see a team that's not horrible, and they were frisky in a lot of games last year, despite not having a ton of elite talent and I think they got markedly better. Who 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 do you think is going to be frisky? See, so f- by frisky do you mean teams that have been not very good and they they bounce up or like what are we kind of what what yeah. what, what is the frisky range? Teams that are like 
expected to be bad, but they might surprise us. And to me, I guess it maybe just it maybe just is the Texans on that list because there's a lot of like uh, Jacksonville hype right now. You know, it's it's kind of oh, attractive to but, go in on Jacksonville. So Jacksonville hype, like they should be hyped if they get six wins this year. They like yeah. If if Trevor Lawrence looks like a good NFL quarterback and they win six games, they should do backflips. Like they they were for them just being a professional organization should make them do backflips. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they'd right. be frisky in that sense, but like I they're not a good team. They're not even a competitive right. team, but th- right. they could be like, "Oh, they look like an NFL team. That's solid." Um yeah. I don't know how Miami fits in this. I still have yeah. I still I'm still holding my Tua stock. Um yeah. he was my worst prediction last year. You know, I predicted uh-huh. or I said he's he's that he's that quarterback who could make the sort of huge breakout leap well that that did not happen uh at all but they have put everything around him to make it work this year in terms of their offensive line is improved if not good they have a Mm -hmm. they have an offensive coach who has worked with uh quarterbacks with limitations and and built a really good offense around them they bring in Tyree Kill they have Jalen Waddle they have uh big tight end Mike uh Gesicki um, yeah, so, mm-hmm. I mean, they've got weapons and all those yeah. guys are good run after the catch guys, which is what yeah. two is two is good at that stuff. He's not huge. Yeah. You know, he's not making huge plays downfield, although he can throw a nice deep ball. So I think I could see Miami being quite frisky because I think it, if they got in a track meet with, say, the Bills, I could yeah. see them making the Bills sweat a little bit, you know, not yeah. if it's December in Buffalo, but if it's, you know, if it's. October in Miami. Yeah. They lose 38-31. But but man, that was a fun game. They just, but it was a game all the way through. Yeah, and it was fun. That kind of yeah. thing. No, totally. I really like that one. And I'm I'm with you on Tua, man. Tua is to you what Darnold is to me, but I'm I'm kind of there on Tua as well. He's he's a really good ball handler. He's a he's a good play action guy. Um and I think I, I want to see it work out. So I, I really hope that it does. And they're kind of, you know, they're kind of trying to replicate the Shanahan thing just with a stable of, you know, fast but unremarkable on paper running backs. And I hope they can get the O-line figured yeah. out. Uh, but they they did. They got a little better there. And they, they got a lot harder to cover on paper. So Wait, where, um, does, where does Philly fit in this frisky thing? Because, like, I mean, yeah. F- Philly seems like a a regular season nightmare for other teams. Like, I don't know that I don't yeah. think Jalen Hurts is good enough to do much in the playoffs because his limitations are significant, no. but yeah, like, could they win 13 games? Cause that's a trash division. And yeah. I mean, every team in that division has a little upside, has some players, but yeah. like by and large, there are a bunch of seven to nine win teams at yeah. best. I mean, Philly's defense is they're, good. They have skill position players that are exceptional. Like I feel like they their can offensive beat, line is awesome. I feel like they um, in that division they could they could blow those other teams out and win like thirteen games and then get pasted yeah. by somebody in the playoffs. But that I don't yeah. know. What do you think? I mean they'll they'll get they'll get rocked by anybody against whom they have to throw the ball more than twenty times a game. But if they can run the ball down your throat, like they're going to be a tough out. Um, they just are going to be able to run the football really well, right? So, I mean, you've still got Jason Kelsey at center, Lane Johnson at one tackle. 
Um, <laughs> Jordan Mailata, who was a nice surprise at another tackle. You've got the big guard out of Alabama that they drafted, Dickerson. I mean, this is a, you know, mauling, mashing, like smack you in the mouth sort of run game team. They got a stable of backs who can carry it. Um, Jalen Hurts is a de facto running back. I mean, it's it, they're going to be a tough out. You know, they're going to be hard to stop. And I, it's interesting for Dallas. Like, I don't know if Dallas is actually built to stop them. You know, um, who you know I mean, Dallas? Who is who in the league? It, part yeah, of the like reason- the nineteen. 19- the 1992 Giants, you yeah, know, the, like the, the Ravens mean, teams that we were talking about, you know, who had yeah the 2000 Baltimore Ravens with Tony Siragusa and Sam Adams, yeah, you know? and th- those are the teams that I'm like, yeah, they they could stop this. There's not what Philly is doing that's fascinating is is going against. I mean, yes, they they put a lot into wide receivers, but they're not going to throw the ball 40 times a game, and if they have to, it's going to go poorly for them. Yeah, and but those guys will be. Like they will make so many big plays. So I could yeah. see like uh, th- their two main wide receivers having uh, like only 60 ish catches each for like a yeah. thousand yards and nine touchdowns each. That kind of yeah. thing, because because it's yeah. play action. They're wide open. Everybody is sucking up to the line because they're, they're screen gaming and running a ton and yeah, they have they have a deep running back stable. Even if none of those guys yeah. are he, you know kind of bell cow type guys, but I don't know. I I I th- and I think they'll be fun to watch for that reason because it'll be such a stylistic difference from what every other team does. Yeah, totally. They will be a fun watch, and I'm I'm actually looking forward to wa- to watching them as as much as I've talked about hating them and. Um, kind of just kind of being frustrated with them. They they will be fun to watch for sure. Uh Pipe, let's uh let's predict the Super Bowl, man. Who's going to be in it? I'm bad oh, at this. I'm very bad yeah. at it. I'm bad when put on the spot about it. Um this is not like an easy exercise for me, but um let's let's do our level best here and and try to predict who's going to be in there. Yeah, man, I I'm tr- I don't even remember who we picked last year. I feel like I might have gotten the Rams right and was did not. Yeah. I think I picked the. I, I think I was a year off on the Bengals. I thought they were going to be like yeah. six, seven win, look like a real team, and then this year be really good. And, and so I was a whole year off on them. I don't think the yeah. Bengals will go back. I don't think. I think they'll be better than they were last year, but not things will not break their way. Um, yeah, man, I, it's hard for me to pick against Buffalo in the AFC. Yeah, because because Josh Allen is still one of the top. I mean, he he's not declining as a quarterback. They're still yeah. they, they've they've actually built a better team around him, and their defense yeah. is still really good. And yeah. uh, and and honestly, I just like as a Vikings fan, I understand Bills fans' pain. Like we we too have lost four Super Bowls and get yeah our hearts broken in the playoffs. I understand. Mm-hmm. I want to see you succeed. Um, yeah. Not as much as I want to see the Vikings succeed, but that's that that that's not in the cards <laughs> this year. Um, yeah. So I I think I'd pick the Bills. I don't think the Rams will repeat, although I think they might actually be a little bit better all round on offense. I just think again, it's really yeah. hard to repeat. Oh man, who from the NFC? Um, Dude, the NFC. I'm looking at it right now. It low key stinks as far as like picking a Super Bowl yeah. team. The AFC is better. The, yeah, the easy ones have always been like Green Bay, Tampa, you know, the Rams kind of yep. make sense. 
I could see it being Tampa, even though I just said that I think they'll be mediocre. I could see a world in yeah. which they're not. But like, it's not going to be New Orleans with Jameis Winston. It's not going to be Green so can, Bay because they yeah. they don't have the offense. It's not going to. It's be, easy to eliminate a lot of yeah. teams. It's not going to be Philly or it's not going to be anybody from the NFC East. No, it's not going to be anybody from the. But NFC But I mean, North. shoot it. <laughs> Philly, if I was going to take a long shot, it might be Philly because that division is terrible. Yeah. And if they get home field advantage and they get catch the right breaks, I mean, the Rams are the best bet from the NFC. Yeah. I just don't, yeah. it just seems unlikely because repeating is so hard. I mean, even just repeating, yeah. like, going to the Super Bowl. Um, and even just the scare about like Stafford's elbow. Yeah. Like, I worry about that I'm, with an older player. I'm not worried about that at all. Like, he's. He has been an elite quarterback for or borderline elite for years, and like he gets mm-hmm. to just sit out training camp if he wants to. <laughs> you know, like why yeah, why bother? Yeah. Um, no, that's a good point. San Francisco is would be the other long shot because I really want to believe in Trey Lance, and yeah, a that is a it's it's an awesome fictional quarterback name, except he's real. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's so great. And yeah, and he like dual threat quarterbacks and he's a true dual threat not a not a Jalen Hurts dual threat uh yeah he would I mean he's a better passer than he is a runner it's at least he has been in college and everything so I would love to see uh I would love to see that work out so I man I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna pick San Francisco so San Francisco Buffalo it's gonna be there you go, dude. It's gonna be the early like, '90s all over again. I like it a lot. I would love for it to be the early '90s for a lot of reasons, but uh, I I really love that. Um, I'm gonna go kind of wild cards. I think all the way around. I'm going Las Vegas. I'm going with the Raiders out of the In AFC that West division. Ton of weapons. I'm I'm not a Kool Aid drinker on the Chargers, dude. I'm not there. I can't get there with the Chargers. I don't trust their coach. Um, the other team I would be tempted to go with out of the AFC is the Chiefs. I, I just think we're going to see a retooled Chiefs Andy Reid offense. Yeah. But people forget how kind of adaptable Andy Reid is. Oh, he's run you know, so Belichick, many different kinds of offenses. That's it. Belichick kind of gets the like adaptability lifetime achievement award. But really, Andy Reid is right there, too. Like, he's... He did a bunch of different things with Donovan McNabb and with the guys he had there in Philly years ago. So I want to go with the Raiders just to be shocking, but it's it's probably Kansas City. I don't know. Gun to my head. Gun to my head, I'm going Kansas City. All right. So we're going Kansas City out of the AFC. Quick quick thing on Kansas City. A, I, yeah. they, they probably would have been my other AFC pick because I think Mahomes yeah. is is a generational quarterback. I think yeah. their offense will be more suited to playing whatever style the game requires this year. Like, I don't think yeah, losing Tyreek Hill doesn't make you a better offense, but losing Tyreek Hill forces you to be good in other areas. So, like, watching them in the preseason line up in uh, with, you know, with a tight end and a fullback. Yeah, and, 21 personnel. Yeah, just, yeah, it was fun. It's better for, for their running backs because, mm-hmm. like, Clyde Edwards Hilaire has always been a like he's a runner, not a not yeah. a scat back. So yeah. he's gonna do better. Their their offensive line is is a better run blocking t- uh, offensive line than it is, you know, kind of a, a yeah. hold up and throw it fifty five times a game. They they yeah. signed Juju Smith Schuster, they drafted Sky Moore. Like both those guys I think are good sort of 
mid-range control the ball receivers. And Kelsey is is the best tight end in football since Gronk. And you know, like they're they're on par in some ways. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see them being uh oh, and they drafted some solid defensive players to, to shore up that side of the ball. Like I Dude, they drafted so well. I, I watched their first better this year game. by by leaps and yeah. bounds, and maybe not as explosive, but a better team. Yeah, I love their um, their defensive end, the new kid out of Purdue, Karloftis. Dude, yeah, he looks like a veteran already. That guy's so good. He's so strong. Um, they draft well. They churn the roster so well. Um, it's going to be Kansas City out of the AFC. NFC wise, dude. Oh man, I I like the San Francisco swing by you. I mean, that's definitely a home run swing. They don't have the best betting yeah. odds, but it's just like it, it. It's a year early for me to say Detroit. Yeah, even though I'm 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 in on them being fun. Yeah, and is frisky. is Jared Goff going to the Super Bowl? That's the question. Yeah, probably not. Um, Although he has, I know, not going to be New Orleans, not going to be Carolina, not going to be Atlanta. I'm 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 coming down by default to Tampa and the Rams. Like it has to be. It's not going to be Arizona. Um, I'm going to say the Rams. So Chiefs Rams again in the Super Bowl. Um, it's not fun to say the Rams, but they're really really good. Yeah, man. they are. Like they're they're really freaking good. And they're they're kind of like the Chiefs. They're going to be a different kind yeah. of good this year too because I think they yeah. get Cam Akers back, so they have an actual running game <clears throat> potentially. Yeah. And Allen Robinson is their number two receiver, is the best second receiver in football, maybe. That's such a great point. Like, such a Allen Robinson point. has never. So, I, I saw some tweet that listed the quarterbacks he's played with since college. And yeah. the best one <laughs> was like Nick Foles with the Bears, that version yeah. of Nick Foles. Or maybe the one yeah. year of Blake Bortles when he, you know, put up some twenty seventeen Blake Bortles when he was decent. And like yeah. and Robinson is only twenty eight or something like that. Like I know. He, yeah, we think of him as this like thirty three year old seasoned veteran, so, but yeah, he's like, he's not old. Cooper Cup is phenomenal but like cooper cup's not catching 140 passes this year they both might catch 90 to 110 passes for 10 plus touchdowns like that's yeah it's gonna be they're gonna be dangerous which is making me think my 49ers pick was really stupid but i'm sticking with it i quick question on two teams that are like they feel like they have massive variations in how good they could be yeah one is the saints and the other is the broncos your thoughts interesting yeah I would be quicker to buy the Broncos if I had to buy one of those two teams. Um, although it, it'll be interesting to see which Russell Wilson we get, right? Because there's a there's an argument to be made for maybe Russell Wilson's past it in terms of being an elite guy or a guy that can lead a team to the Super Bowl. Um, and and I know it's been. It's been sexy to like like the Broncos the last couple of years, but then I watch their games and I'm underwhelmed. Um, I'm almost always underwhelmed. So the Saints, I'm not a Jameis guy, dude. I just can't do it with Jameis. I can't be a believer, you know? Even um, even though before he got injured last year, he led the league in touchdown to interception. It was like 18 to 2 or something like that, touchdown to interception ratio. And... That was without Michael Thomas. They're getting Michael Thomas yeah. back. They got Chris Olave. Uh, that means Kamara do can do, doesn't have to carry the ball a thousand times a game. I don't know, man. Yeah. I 
yes, they don't have Sean Payton. That's that's probably their biggest loss. But it's uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I could see them putting up points. Yeah, they might, dude. You you make a good argument. I'm in, I'm intrigued. Um, I'm not confident. Dude, we forgot to talk about training camp fights, and that was your that was your topic. That was your bring up. We've already been over an hour, but uh, do you have do you have thoughts on training camp fights? I yes, I mean I have many thoughts on training camp fights. One, I love them. Yeah. Uh, two, yeah. great. I I am so amused by the the hand wringing over <laughs> yeah. them by all parties involved. You know, the coaches uh-huh. who are like, "There is no place for this." Behind the scenes, you know, they're like, "Good job, buddy." You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Unless it's with. Well, I'm talking about like the inter-squad things, you know, where two teams play. Those always break out in fights. It's like expected. Yeah. Um, yeah. What? Okay, so it's there, there's a different version of training camp fight that I'm always a little bit like, okay, what do we do with this? So the Saints drafted this tackle. Was it Trevor Penning, Northern Iowa? Yeah. yeah. Who got kicked out of practice in like the first week for fighting with his own guys repeatedly. That's right. the stuff that I'm like intriguing. I don't know if that's a good or a bad. Is he an utter psycho? Is he super yeah. competitive? Is it good to yeah. be an utter psycho as an offensive lineman? Like, where do we fall on yeah. this? I think he's a one-trick pony. He's a run blocker. You know, don't put him against speed and pass pro. He'll get roasted. But, uh, yeah, I here here's my take on training camp fights. And I, I think this is really interesting. Training camp is the one time of year where... The NFL doesn't get to super heavily curate the product. You know what I mean? Like, if you go to a stadium, if you go to Nissan Stadium to watch the Titans, you're basically watching TV outside. You know what I mean? Like, watching the NFL, even live in 2022, it's a very homogenized, curated, from a distance kind of experience. And you really don't get a sense of this is war without guns, this is violence, this is chaotic, this is wild. But like in training camp, if you go to watch a training camp and you can sit even relatively closely, it is bleeping wild, dude. If you can watch one-on-ones between the O-line <laughs> and the D-line, like it's violent as H, dude. And and like you just get this sense that, oh my gosh, A, these guys are huge. B, they're fast. And C, this whole experience is like one tiny step away from a complete melee. So like... Training camp, I think, gives fans a unique kind of behind-the-curtain look at, at just how violent it is. And the league doesn't necessarily want us to feel that way about it, so they have to kind of poo-poo it. So you get a lot of, like... I mean, let's be honest. Every NFL reporter now is just on the payroll, basically. I mean, everybody's sort of a proselyte for the shield. So um, they get... they get Adam Schefter their... is offended. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but they have to hand ring about it. And, um, that's just kind of part of the dance. Yeah. I, man, what you said about the violence of it, it's people just need to get comfortable with the idea that what we're watching when we watch the NFL is, is like a half step away from gladiators. Like it's, they are in an arena. There is there. The only thing is like, there's a a defined set of rules. And other than that, it's basically kill each other within the rules. And yeah, and these and the money is so good. Like if if you kill each other well, I mean you can set your family up for generations. You know what I mean? Like um, it's amazing money, and there's so much on the line. Yeah, it's it. You're right. It's like well, the glad. And then you add the fact that these guys, after two weeks of smashing heads with the same four dudes, you just you're, you're sick of all of them. Like 
Yeah. One more, like that guy says one more thing to you after, you know, yeah. alligator punching you for the 57th time. Yeah. You're, yeah. I bet you'll snap. So it's, I, yeah. they never bother me. Like I'm never like, oh my gosh, how, you know? Yeah. But yeah, the, the way that the NFL wants to like gloss over, there is no room for this in this sport. You're like, yeah, that's exactly the entire purpose of this sport is violence. So, yeah. uh, you know, maybe let's not be dishonest. Dude, the most impressive thing, and I'll I'll leave you with this that I've seen in sports. I was a ball boy for the Colts in high school, and there was a training camp fight between. We had this center named Kirk Loudermilk, who actually was a Viking before yeah, he was a Colt. I remember he was really good. Um, he was like an NCAA wrestler, super strong, super functionally strong dude, and a great center. He got into a training camp fight. We had this linebacker named Scott Radisek, who was good too. He was kind of a journeyman. He had been with Buffalo. Then we had him. And they were both like really legitimately great dudes. But they got into a fight and they were kind of tied up. And Loudermilk grabbed Radisek's face mask and literally ripped it off his helmet. And like <laughs> the helmet and the face mask went like rolling a- a- across the turf. And as a ball boy, it was probably like my job to pick it up. But I was like, oh my gosh, this is the most impressive thing I've seen in my life. And it was legitimately scary to like be that close to it and to go, that guy just broke a thing that gets hit 94 times a game and doesn't break, you know, and he just grabbed it and ripped it to pieces. I was amazed. Well, and there's um, there's another aspect to this, and I realize we're going way long. I'm I'm fine. I have yeah. lots of thoughts on this. Uh yeah, it, I'm fine it's uh People outside looking like fighting has been so scrubbed from society that people are horrified when this happens when within a competitive sports culture or even just like a house full of brothers fighting is how you resolve conflict and like blow off steam. And so I have to imagine that you watched that happen, you know, helmet like you Mm -hmm. think the guy's head is literally rolling across the field (laughs) and 30 minutes later, they're just teammates like. Yep. There's no hatred. Totally. There's there's a complete understanding yeah. that what just happened was you pissed me off, yeah. I pissed you off. We solved that problem. Let's run the next drill. And and yeah. so like w- once we started telling everybody use your words instead of punching the bully, we lost yeah. context for like so- sometimes violence just sort of resolves a thing or it blows off steam yeah. and like is it is it quote unquote good? I don't know, but it's right. it is normal. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I, I think it's the one thing that like lay people struggle to understand about football and really about fighting. Like to your point, I mean, it can actually bring a team together um, if the right people are involved and if it's resolved the right way afterward, you know, which in this case it was, they were both veterans. They were both like, like I said before, pretty great dudes. And the, you know, the attitude was, like by the time we walk off the field this afternoon, it's going to be patched up and fine and over. Um, yeah, but I think for a person who's never played a violent sport or who has never fought and they're just watching this from afar, it seems appalling, but it's really not even close to appalling. Like I, I see people killing themselves verbally way worse like on social media or in even in real life sometimes than like a training camp fight. You know what I mean? Like I'd be way more hurt by some of the things that I see oh, yeah. said about people than I would if some 
dude punch me in the yeah, face. Yeah, the, the same people who are horrified about a fight go online and call somebody else like a piece of trash, a worthless human. And you're like, you know what's yeah, better right. than that? Punching. Punching is better right. than that. I agree. It pro- it does less long-term damage than like calling someone a human piece of trash, which like, yeah, that person now has to live with that forever. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's a strange topsy-turvy world we live in. But uh, yeah, training camp fights. I think we're both. I think we're both in on them, and uh, obviously within reason and and all the caveats. But um, yeah, <laughs> all the caveats. Just all list the them all. Caveats. List them all. But uh, no, pretty cool. And uh, man, one of the things I miss the most, and I, I realize I'm now bloviating, but I miss how kind of lo-fi and accessible training camp was when we were young. Like you could drive. My dad and I did this often. You could just drive onto the campus at Anderson College, which was this little kind of piddly Christian college in the middle of nowhere where the Colts had their training camp. You could just drive onto their campus, park, walk up to a little like rope that was like nine feet away from where the O-line and D-line were doing one-on-ones. And we would watch like, you know, Chip Banks rushing against Kevin Call. And it's like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life, you know? Um, this is amazing. Or like, you know, Jeff Harrod's rushing against, you know, a Roosevelt Potts in a in a one-on-one pass pro drill. And it was it was just amazing. I I never and, attended training camp uh, as big of a Viking. Yeah. Because because nobody I like it's when I lived in Minnesota, I was young enough, I wasn't gonna go by myself, and nobody I yeah. knew uh, was into it was, yeah i mean like that's it's a great yeah. like father son like my dad's not gonna take a day and go to drive an hour plus to mankato to sweat in the sun <laughs> yeah. and watch guys smash heads i probably yeah. would have loved it uh yeah you know and and it so it just wasn't something i ever did so i'm 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 intrigued by the whole sort of ethos of the thing yeah one one of the stories my dad and i love to tell there there are two from training camp actually there are hundreds but uh i'll only tell two the colts had a head coach one year named rick venturi and um he was kind of like a stopgap. i think he was an interim guy who got like a chance to do it for a year and we were walking into a training camp practice one year and the guys were like already on the field stretching and uh there was this guy leaned up against the porta potty like ripping a cigarette and it was rick venturi and uh we walked right by him and he was like, Hey boys, how you doing? You know? And we're like, I think that's the head coach, like smoking a cig next to a porta potty. It was just the least kind of veneered, lacquered, robotic NFL thing imaginable. And it was very like of the nineties. Um, the other thing was the year, I think it was 1991, 1992, somewhere in that, you know, um, in that time period, the Colts drafted Jeff George, and he was either the first overall pick of the draft or very close to it. And they got Jeff George and Pops and I went to like an early early training camp practice where they were just in like shorts and helmets. And everybody's wearing like team issued like cold shorts except Jeff George. He comes out in like swim trunks. He was wearing a pair of like Hawaiian shorts with his jersey and his helmet. And to this day, Pops and I are like, remember Jeff George's Hawaiian shorts? That that probably said a lot about the future of his career. Was that like his but, version of the red jersey? Like the guy in the Hawaiian shorts can't be tackled? Yeah. 
don't hit the guy in the board shorts. You know, the guy <laughs> looks like he's going to the beach after the after practice wraps. But uh, yeah, it was a different time. It 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 was the whole thing was less mass produced. And like, I think the last training camp practice I went to, I was in grad school, so I was near Cleveland. This was like a decade ago, and it was totally different. Like, you had to pick up a little ticket, and you had to go like filter through the pro shop well, they only allow in fans bleachers. in on certain days and for certain segments yeah you were in bleachers that were like a mile and a half away from the action and it kind of sucked but um you know of a time and a place i guess oh oh the 90s that's basically I what know, this dude. podcast comes back to constantly it really does it was a better time but <laughs> Pipe. Speaking of time, we've we've put an hour and fifteen minutes into this thing, so we've given we've given the listeners nothing if not a lot of our time. So uh, I hope they enjoy it. I certainly enjoyed doing it. And until next time. Thank you for listening to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. Be sure to visit thehappyrant.com to check out our merchandise, learn more about upcoming live events, and listen to past episodes. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East, equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.